the diamond I The Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. I'm holding a pair of running trainers, size six running trainers, and these are most definitely running trainers. These aren't a fashion trainer, these aren't a cross-sport trainer. These trainers are used for running, and they're a good, strong trainer. The design is like a sort of psychedelic contour map in purple, and then these sort of geometric silver and grey patterns wild also it just has this this paint paint's dropped on it the shoe's gone through paint had paint thrown on it but one color a sort of rusty earthy paint this this is an exciting shoe wants to be taken out and shown the country these shoes belong to john gilmore this is his story i'm john gilmore and i'm a runner when the school sports was was on, the furthest you were allowed to run in those days was 440 yards or 400 metres. I was the number one at the school for the 400 metres. I was lucky that my sportsmaster, Gordon Edward Appleton, was the uh, state champion sprinter and it was the best performance by anybody at the school and he presented me with a book at assembly the next day on how to succeed in athletics and I've got such a kick out of it's been my main sport ever since. When war broke out we all decided we'd join up. The second fourth machine gun battalion was formed all West Australians. My brother wanted to join with us so he wasn't old enough but he, he put his age up and mum and dad gave him permission to join. And we, we thought it'd be great to travel the Middle East. Never thought for one minute what was going to happen. First of all, we went to South Australia for four months training. Then we went to Darwin. And while we were in Darwin, the Japanese came into the war. We immediately were told that we would be going to Singapore. We sailed to Singapore. And the, the Japanese at that time was, was still, they were starting to bomb Singapore. And I was home on the 15th of January, but it was a prisoner of war on the 15th of February. We were housed at Changi in Singapore which wasn't very nice. Japanese wouldn't, because had so many prisoners, didn't know how to feed that, that number of prisoners. So the rice we were given wasn't enough. So they just told to add rock water to it. So it was just like a soup. I was so hungry, I was eating couch grass, the tips of hibiscus, and eventually i got big styes on my eyes and I could see my eyes deteriorating. I couldn't recognise my own brother at a short distance and I was put in hospital in Changi and the guy either side of me went were totally blind and I thought yeah, I was going to be the same way. 
but a hospital ship came in from South Africa and the Japanese allowed us a spoonful of Marmite a day until it ran out. My first job was at a graphite factory in, in Kobe, Japan. I had to go into a, a graphite bin, just a trap door, where just enough room for me to go in, and I had a, a bin was full of this black dust. I had to wear a mask, and then I had to shovel this black dust out through the, the trap door that I went in. I could only stay in there for at least 20 minutes, and I come out. I was covered in this black dust, and it, when the sun got on it, it dissolved and it burnt your skin. So the Japanese but still made me go in. And it was a South Australian boy that I never knew him from a bar of soap. He said he would like to relieve me, and he went in. Jack and I suggested the Japanese that they should make a long-handled shovel and hook the, the, the dust out and nobody should go in the bin, and they agreed. So Jack and I then got a job then of pushing a, a railway, like a railway truck on the, on the, like they use in the mines together, and we became very good friends. Jack was from South Australia, and uh, we decided then that this Japanese guy that we call Speedo, it'd be a good idea if we could learn quite a bit of Japanese, which we did. And in the morning, we had him call me Johnny-san, Jack, Jackie-san, and we say, Konnichiwa, Speedo-san, he thought it was crash hot. Another time, Jack said to him, he said, John, I'd like to race you over 100 metres, and he was a pretty fit Japanese guy, but I knew he smacked like a chimney. His teeth were black with nicotine, and I knew that I could knock him off over 100 metres. But the only reason I was racing, he had to pay me 20 cigarettes, which he, I beat him, and he even paid the 20 cigarettes. The American bombing was so precise, they bombed it in a big circle. They dropped 500-pound oil bombs to the first flight of planes that came over. Then the second flight came over, they dropped the incendiary bombs, and they bombed in a big circle. And I would never see fires like it again. Because there were, just imagine these houses, pine wood houses, two and three storey high, and only a small alley between the, each group of houses. And the flames would shoot metres into the air. When the, when the war finished, we were uh, trained to Yokohama, then there was the, boat, the hospital ships were full up, so we were flown from Yokohama to Okinawa. And I flew in a big flying fortress. No seats, just a, a big shell of a plane. We could put trucks or tanks in it. We just sat on the floor, and they flew us to Okinawa at midnight, and I was scared stiff because I'd never been in a plane before. And I, at night time, I wondered how they're going to land the plane in Okinawa. But luckily, they had the warships there with their big searchlights lit up the airfield, and we landed safely. But then we were in Okinawa for about three days. Then the Americans wanted to shift us from Okinawa to Manila. And uh, we got on the trucks 
to go to the airport be flown to Manila and Jack was on my truck and a fellow called out from another truck so Jack hopped down and went over to see who it was and it was a guy he joined up with and Jack came back he said to me John he said do you mind if I go with my mate I've just met him first time since we joined up and I handed him down his gear his plane took off our plane took off his plane crashed into the mountains of Formosa was killed. There was five Australians killed on that plane. It was terrible to think that what Jack had gone through, he never made it. What he did for me was unbelievable. And not only for me, but for the guy that slept next to him. He was wounded in Singapore. He couldn't put on his own shoes. Jack used to do it for him. If anybody ever deserves a medal, it was Jack. What he did for POWs in a Hakobi camp. When I went back this time, it was unbelievable. <laughs> a multi-storey building on the area. Huge building. And that many big buildings where it was just flattened. I didn't pull any punches. I told them straight when I was, I was interviewed that my mothers were starved in Singapore. It sort of ruined my life. I'd never been able to have a motor car. Had to rely on friends to take me to places. And, but I've been lucky because uh, I've always sort of looked after myself. And I've been back to Japan four times now. I went back in 72. I couldn't believe how they well they were off they were compared with how we were in Australia and even though they lost the war. Then I went back in 82 to run in the World Road Championships in Tokyo. And I couldn't believe the Japanese were bound to me because I was running so well. Uh, then I went back in 93 to Miyazaki and ran there. And I even got invited out to a Japanese officials' home for a meal. So I realised then that they're human like everybody else. John's story was produced by Sinead Mangan. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we're going next. <laughs>